Ever feel like you're an intellectual and or social squatter? Just want something to read to feel a little smarter? Want to feel like part of the Seattle community? Well, Horizon Books has just the answer for you. This week's episode of UpZones is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving the Seattle book-loving community for over 47 years. Check out Horizon Books on 10th near Numos today and mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount. This week's sponsor is Horizon Books and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. What's up, Upzonians? Hope it's going good. This is an interesting weekend as I record this. We're packing up... Um, taking my fiance Michelle to Olympia where she'll be doing some court work for her professional endeavors so a lot of the time is just getting ready for that thinking about the region and some of the policies that we have here and how the state government and the city government interact with each other in the wake of some of the big events that have gone on over the last few weeks you're all aware of the headcount tax I walked into a bakery this morning Uh, they were up in the Wallingford area and they had this sign that said say no to the headcount tax or the head they call it the head tax and and not only that that's one thing it sort of rubbed me the wrong way uh, even though i've myself have been ambivalent about it but then they had a petition sitting at the desk and i just sort of decided that uh that it wasn't for me so there's a lot going on i mean people are thinking about what we're going to do about the housing situation in seattle people have different ideas uh, our guest today laura Lowe of more mo AR among just being a good advocate for equitable housing and more density and more development, but not in a cold libertarian way, actually in a thoughtful way. Um, she talks about this a lot. She talks about why we need to change some of the perspectives we might have around the city, around who owns what and what kind of space there is. We had a great conversation. This was a reinvigorating one. I recorded this a couple of weeks ago and we just got around to it. Um, to running it. We talked a bunch about the one thing I regret, I'll say this, I did do I did spend a, a couple moments mocking expertise in urban planning saying, "Oh, they're not doing so well." And man, I hate that. I hate that I did that. I left it in, you know, I, we don't really edit these too hard except for some ums and ahs, but I I, I just I hate that. If the urban planners aren't doing well, it's largely because the the body politic has not allowed them to. I think they know a thing or two about transit and density that we don't. So I I feel bad about that. But anyway, Laura was great. She's extremely positive personality. She's a a happy warrior. She, like so many of the advocates we have on the show that are talking around the changes in the city, they're kind of going out alone. They don't have big corporate funding or anything. Um, So uh, just the fact that she does it every day, she's on social media, she's in the uh, committee hearings, uh, with council. She's she's just really doing good work. So I'm glad to finally give her a platform. She also mentioned to me that a lot of times reporters, when they want to talk about density or the YIMBY movement that she brought to Seattle, they all, they'll talk to her, but they won't quote her on the record. Uh, so I just think it's good that she has a platform. She pounded the table a lot. She sure believed in what she was saying. I just made all these uh, sound improvements with Brandon at the bookstore to get, <laughs> to kind of 
tamp down on outside noise and we've got, you know, a passionate person pounding the table <laughs> every time she talked. So uh, editing was fun. But I, I, I think uh, it doesn't really get in the way too much. And she has a lot of great stuff to say. So I, I hope you'll enjoy Laura Lowe, uh, founder or at least coiner of Yimby Seattle and uh, of more talking about how we can do development, upzoning, and uh, end this housing crisis in Seattle. Off the record? Are we on the record? We're on everything on the record. I've been recording for four hours. Okay, well, then I'm not going to tell you what I think of that movie. Oh, God. On the record. That's that's where I draw the line. I'll talk about the date that I'm in the middle of right yeah, now. Yeah, well, okay, I need to pick this apart. Okay, so you are literally mid-date. I am mid-date. So you were on the first part of a date. Did I you was. Eat, have you eaten dinner? Yes. How was the dinner? It was fantastic. It was tacos chukis. Okay. There was a dog that kept sniffing our legs, so that was always cute Like and a charming yes. kind of a thing. Yes. And, now, and then you were just like, this is nice, but I got to go. Yes. I got to go talk about... Urban density and yes. equity and, and I'm sorry that you're being displaced from your housing. Right. Well. So I, I, I mostly just swipe on musicians. Like if I see them playing an instrument. You're down. Yeah. Because I want someone. I don't have a lot of time. That's why I learned to play the drums. I want to be able to Was like. to get a nice housing lady. That's... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. I want to be able to like make music with you and hang out with you. Yeah. And like I've only oh, got yeah, so many free hours. Yeah, yeah. I have drums and I rent a house partly so that I can have a practice space in my house. Right. So I have drums and guitars and uh-huh. amps and. Uh, so I'm here with Laura Lowe. Hi everyone. And so you're gonna go back on this date. I'm gonna go back on the date after this. Yes. You get anything planned? Just gonna pinball. Pinball. Always pinball. At a ball. Unicorn. Okay. Oh, in that back corner, in unicorn. Probably. Yeah. And it's a Thursday now. We're recording on a Thursday. This layer on Monday, so probably not too broy. On a Thursday in the early evening. I have a high tolerance for bro. You have a, bro, a high bro tolerance. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in urbanist spaces, <laughs> which is like, oh, I, can't I call them bro-burnists. Bro- and I bro- use the little trademark symbol if I'm tweeting it right. or I'm messaging it. Just so that nobody steals your, no, your sick it's, burn. Because it's like a real problem. I mean, there's been articles like, why is urbanism so male? Why is urbanism so white? Um, why is urbanism so male? Because most kids, like Gen X kids or older, when they were little, were given really super gendered toys. So, like, boys were given Legos and girls were given, like, dollhouses. And it creates a different kind of pattern. So I was a middle school math and science teacher. And if you get Legos into girls' hands earlier, they do better in algebra. Mm. So there's something with, like, the way the brain develops and, like, the, the spatial logic and... Video games, too, maybe? Um, your Tetrises of the world, right? Maybe, yeah. yeah. Some, some spatial logic there, too. Yeah. But I played with Legos when I was little. So I think that that contributes to my my own bro-burnism. Uh-huh. I was also a Bernie bro, so... Right, yeah. I will, oh, own, I my, I will own my bro-ness. <laughs> Laura the bro. <laughs> okay. Um, I, it takes one to know one. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's why you, you're okay with with me. Um, <laughs> you're kind of, yeah, you're a little bit of a bro-burnist. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so let me ask you something. You said something to me once that has stuck with me. There's a certain just number of well-known housing density, urban, urbanism mm-hmm. advocates, and there just seems to be running throughout each of the personalities, no matter who they are, 
there seems to be this like loneliness where people are out mm. and I won't, we don't need to name any names because everyone who's listening except for maybe like my mom <laughs> knows exactly who like the five people are right sure you are the only person who's ever really talked about that and made it cogent for me it was, it was off air so I hope you get it right again oh, I'm sure I won't <laughs> um, you know I think that this work is you're balancing um, your views with what you think that the people that support these views are mm-hmm. But a lot of us that are doing this work are not funded. And so we're not, we don't have like a board supporting us or um, a bunch of people out there kind of helping us develop policy, like a policy intern, or we're just kind of on our own advocating. Also, I think that it's not just urbanists that are lonely too, though. I think that, that a lot of the advocates I know that are like full-time advocates there's a lot of sacrifice. So you give up your free time when you're at city council testifying in the morning and then you have to go to a night hearing. There's not a lot of time for like spending time with your kids or your dog or whatever. So I think it's kind of like a calling. Some of the people I know in Seattle really take it seriously as a calling almost religiously. Absolutely. So, so it's, there's that moral imperative. Like a lot of the people I'm organizing with right now are climate justice advocates. And they, I met them through the action that happened um, around Chase Bank, where there was a bunch of Chase Banks. And there was a bunch of us that were like arrestables and John Grant got arrested. Right. And, you know, those kinds of things bring folks together in like really unique ways but you're still going into that moment alone. So right. I was with a group of like six women, but there's still that moment of like, am I really, how far am I going to go through with this? Right. And there's no, there is something to institutions, right? So in your day job, you work for Corporation X and you're an, uh, an actor on behalf of Corporation X. And uh, in my formal political days, I, w- I worked for Obama for America. Yeah. And you're an actor for Obama. For It's hard when there's no institution behind you. Right. When you're the whole freaking thing. Right. And and you're also a lot of urbanists are futurists. So I don't know if this was the point that I was making before, but a lot of folks are thinking about 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 150 years from now. I flew down on February 13th, 2016 to meet Sonia Trouse in San Francisco to Mm -hmm. kind of get her. She had started SF Barf, Bay Area's Renner, Renner Federation and started using the word EMB and getting some national press. And and is that where you got this hat? I got, I got the hat. Um, it's a green hat with white and blue writing that says Yimby. And uh, Laura gave me this amazing hat, everyone. I will Yimby be town. focusing. I'll be showing some pictures of this amazing accoutrement. I think it fits you better than me okay, at good. this point. Well, I'm I'm Yimby skeptic at, at the moment. Oh, you're Yimby. Okay. Well, yeah. We're gonna have to yeah I'm having that. some crisis of faith here with my Yimby, fellow Yimbys down in California. But when I met Sonia, I wanted her blessing to start using the Yimby term up here. Mm-hmm. And then I started a Twitter account, YimbyC, and I didn't tell anyone it was me. I did mm-hmm. it secretly. Mm-hmm. And so for about three or four months, I tweeted about housing. And then I started going to housing meetups and like urbanism happy hours and things like that. And I started telling a few people it was me and a few people. And they're like, I thought it was a dude. I thought it was a dude. So like there's that assumption that if you know something about housing, you're not a woman. So that was right. kind of interesting. And then I had people at the time when they found out it was me, they were like, well, you don't have a background in urban planning, like leave this to the experts. Mm-hmm. So there was that um, sense. Because the experts are doing it great right now. Yeah. 
They've, <laughs> yeah, they solved the housing crisis. All the buildings are gorgeous. Everyone's really happy with the aesthetics. The, the rents are very affordable. Yes. So I don't know. I, I, I started off like five or six years ago being angry because I felt like my neighborhood had convinced me, my, my neighbors had convinced me that their voice wasn't being heard at City Hall and that the processes were broken and we needed to stop everything in its tracks till they were listened to. So pretty nimby. And mm-hmm. so I met with all of them and I started um, getting involved in the neighborhood north of mine, Roosevelt, and being at the Northeast District Council of Neighborhoods and got to know all those people, then became a campaign manager for a candidate who his election flyer was a bulldozer. And he talked about bringing on the, that the bulldozers were going to come and bulldoze people's houses. And um, that was in August of 2015. And then... Who was that? Uh, his name was Tony Provine. He was running against Michael Maddox and mm. Rob Johnson and Gene Godden. Mm. And he got just enough of the vote and just enough of the Godden voters that I think it allowed Michael Maddox to sneak by I see. in the primary. I think otherwise it probably would have been Godden and Johnson. So I'll take credit for Maddox getting, into the, <laughs> getting in there. Yeah. He was one and a half percent away yeah. from... Um, through that process, I met everyone that on council right now, all of the campaign managers. It was the first district elections. It was just a free-for-all. No one could even find consultants. They were going to Tacoma to find them. Right. And then I knocked on doors. And the things that I heard from these folks that were slow growth, um, and, I, and I at the time probably would have identified as pretty slow growth because I thought... Hey, we need to slow this down. Like, things are moving too quickly. That's the impulse like, that I think a lot of gentrification is like happening so rapidly. And you know, when I first moved to Seattle in two thousand nine, every the U district you'd walk around, and all you'd hear was bands practicing. And slowly it got quieter and quieter and quieter. Like you could hear gentrification happening. You could Whoa. hear the bands like not practicing anymore. Like right. like that band Rose Windows was like a couple of blocks away, and like you it just you just saw like different people moving in. Like maybe like couple of nurses or like a lawyer like it was just a different crowd of people um i live in the northwest part of the u district which is all single family mostly rentals and now it's like all professional rentals but before it used to be like five students or eight students or you know a bunch of people that had graduated but we're still in a band together hanging out yeah exactly so yeah it sounds really different where'd they all go where did the music just white center burien linwood i don't know probably parts of Bellevue might still be affordable and parts of Kirkland and far away. So that's away. where all the good music is now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not in any bands right now, but... You just like to jam. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And all the musicians are being displaced, so you can't date them. <laughs> Full circle. Yes. <laughs> no, I can date them, but I have to get in my car and drive. Which is the, that's bad for the environment. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so sprawl, can, yeah. L- let me ask you a question here about... It, y- so one of the things you got into it here a little bit about the Yimby, that's I, I associate that with you um, mm-hmm. uh, just from your Facebook persona, mm-hmm. you know, and you're in Twitter, I guess, as well. I'm not a Twitter guy, really, but I. Then you don't appreciate that I have twenty eight hundred followers oh, in twenty six wow. months. I don't think I've ever had 2,800 people look at my tweets, like in combined. (laughs) I have like 500K people look at my tweets per month or something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm I'm like Twitter famous. Is that a Yumble brag? (laughs) No, it's (laughs) just a brag. I lived in New York till I was 13. I lived in LA. I lived in Chicago. There's no humble. Okay. So for me, Yimby is like an utter poetry, right? And you're telling me you have... um, sort of ideological reservations. The first EMB conference I went to was in Boulder. 
and all the folks in Boulder are older folks. It would be, it had been a long group of environmentalists that had split. And so it was intergenerational and they were rooted in climate justice. Mm. And that first EMB town was really energized by like, there was libertarians, there was anarchists, there was um, all sorts of folks. And the second year was in Oakland and I was one of the keynote speakers and I was asked to talk on intersectional urbanism. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? That's huge for you. We'll get there. And so the second year was not as intergenerational, um, definitely more racially diverse because there was a real conscious effort made to give scholarships. So I think like, I don't know, half the people there were on scholarship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they really prioritized the voices of folks from communities of color. So it didn't feel like tokening, tokenizing, but it was perceived outwardly um, by activists in Oakland that way. Mm. And so they actively protested us. They had um, like kill all Yimby stencils all over outside. Police had to come. Um, they chanted, uh, Sonia Trouse's white baby is going to die over and over and over again while Scott Wiener, the state senator, was speaking. She was pregnant at the time, eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I'm used to being out there doing the protest. I've never been protested before. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And there was other How people. How did that feel? Who, uh, like real talk. I went down and talked to them. Uh-huh. I went down and talked to them. And I, I said that. And they're like, um, you're a traitor. And there was this woman there who was from Texas. She's an urban planner, worked for the city, and she and her fiancé were there, um, African-American couple, and uh, they just walked up to them and they were like, you're white supremacists. So they were like, they were doing some really like hard organizing against us. Like, and I said, she got all worried and scared and I was like, they're going to get hungry. They're going to have to go to the bathroom. They don't look like prepared to stay out here all day. So as soon as Scott Wiener left, we had a break for like an hour and they all went to some diner that like a bunch of the people at the conference saw them at the diner. They all went to the same diner nearby. <laughs> and I told her, I was like, see, they got hungry. They had to use the bathroom. Yeah. Like, like this, they didn't look like ready to, like to stick out. it out. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. their rhetoric was quite extreme. Um, and their, their sense is, and afterwards I went um, and spoke in the next session about it, about how I felt about like being protested against mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. It's kind of an unconference style where like we kind of made stuff up on the fly mm-hmm. as well as some planned sessions. And so I was kind of the voice in the room that was like, I'm glad they're protesting us. I'm glad that they're forcing us to have conversations that we may or may not be having around gentrification and how it looks different in different communities and how there's just this deep mistrust around urbanist solutions and city solutions and technocratic solutions in certain communities because they've been told for decades Hey, we know best. Trust us. We know best. And and you look at projects and you look at urban renewal and you look at all of those those legacies. And so those communities have generational trauma around zoning and land yeah. use. Yeah. They've been fighting against uh, exclusionary zoning for 100 years. Right. And all of a sudden, a bunch of like. Predominantly white. Predominantly white. Right. Tech brobernists with tech right. money. Right. are like co-opting the It'll language of time. redlining yeah. and saying yes and saying like, trust us, it's going to be fine this time. I'm going to keep the football right on the ground this time. Yeah. When you come to kick it, I'm not going to pull it away. Exactly. Right. So of course, of course. And, and early on, 
I didn't feel like the people in San Francisco had done anything to build bridges or earn trust or really listen. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like a one size fits all. We have a climate emergency. We have a housing emergency. We don't have time. Mm. We don't have time to have this conversation. Right. And we're in a rush. Had a that had a fallout. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Oakland folks tried, but because San Francisco had already done such a bad job, Mm -hmm. it like spilled out into the entire Bay Area. So he just took the hat off, everyone. Well, (laughs) I'm not so sure how he's feeling about that Yimby hat now. It's going right back on. It's going in the picture. (laughs) I'm representing my car. What I I always say is that I'm I'm part of the yes in my backyard movement and that I, I do it a little different. Hmm. Well, so let's talk about that. One of the things that you you talk about that I love, that there's a theory and there's a practice, right? And the theory says up everywhere. Yes. Change, you know, change is inevitable. Uh, Well, no, that we need radical solutions for radical problems. And that the radical solution we need is no zoning. Like when I I went from NIMBY to YIMBY, I went all the way to no zoning Mm -hmm, at first. mm -hmm. I went all the way to like deregulate completely and just let like let building happen where it's going to happen right and just for the listeners that doesn't mean no fire code i think oh, there's, right. a, there's a lot of confusion about yes. that like folks who are listening here is probably a lot of urban urbanist folks but also just yes like people that work at microsoft it just means if you if there's a 400 foot building the 400 foot building could go at seward park it could go at Magnuson park mm-hmm. the 400 foot building could go anywhere it still has to be and scaled that, for for earthquake for seismic oh yeah fire right? code fire and, code, and it, it couldn't have industrial uses right. in it then right. you couldn't have like you know a bunch of metal right. workers in the basement or right whatever. but if you want to yeah. put you know if you want to build let's say at the tolaris development yes uh, if you want to build in laurelhurst outside in laurelhurst outside of the yes. u district maybe that you would be able to build up build 15 to 20 stories build large developments but instead because of this exclusionary zoning regime that we have in our city allegedly progressive city well why don't you kind of finish the story here so every city across the country and canada and brisbane australia and london and everywhere has these pockets of detached housing and then pockets of apartments and the apartments and the housing, the mix of them changes depending on the city. So in Portland, you have more of a mix of apartments mixed in with the detached homes, mm-hmm. which we call the single family zones and the multifamily zones. But what we're talking about are apartments and apartment areas that are, there's an apartment ban. So someone used this the other night. So I'm going to start using that language. So there's whole parts of the city where there's an apartment ban. There's an apartment ban around Seward Park. There's an apartment ban around most of the good parks in our city, the really big, beautiful ones. There's apartment bans in Broadmoor, which is a golf course Mm -hmm. community, uh, gated community in the city. And these apartment bans mean because of income inequality and generational poverty and wealth gaps and all sorts of historical racism and systemic oppression, apartments tend to be more immigrants, more low-income folks, more disabled folks, more queer folks, more mm-hmm. black and brown folks. Mm-hmm. That's who tends to live in apartments because of all of those other factors. And so when you have areas where apartments are banned, they tend to be white. So in Seattle, we have our schools segregated because of our zoning. And so when I say ban zoning, in urbanist circles, it's kind of a way to say desegregate schools. 
Mm-hmm. But getting like the average person to link some some weird land use thing to school segregation Absolutely. is quite a yeah. lot of education. Right. There's quite a lot of steps there. And that's something that like no one's been able to find. Yimby hasn't been able to message that enough yet, nationally and internationally. Well, so I was this is where I was going, but I wanted to let you kind of tell that yeah. story. One of the things that I love that you touch on is so urbanists, your yimbies, if you will, yeah. tend, tend toward white educational privilege, also generally male. That's yes. not necessarily relevant to this point. But there is a tendency, right, to look at the look immediately in front of you, and, and which is ironic mm-hmm. for an urbanist, right, mm-hmm. and say, oh, that um, uh, civil rights activist or, or social justice activist is saying slow down change and target them. Mm-hmm. When that person who really does have a good theory, right, mm-hmm. which is we should upzone and, mm-hmm. and actually unzone, mm-hmm. maybe ought to be talking to his generally mm-hmm. peers, parents, parents, his parents. His so so all those urbanists need to go back home and be tough and not be scared. And at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, during the holidays, whatever they celebrate have those conversations with their parents so it's their parents that are so proud that they've put all this equity into their home and they're going to pass it on to their children and they're they have this sense of pride around that to take that and start eroding at that little and unraveling that well why do you why did you get the opportunity to buy a home did your parents help you why did your parents help you was there white flight in this in your family history like go back to your your direct family and start, you know, my father lived in Chicago on the South side till he was nine. They flew, fled to Elmhurst to the suburbs to buy a single family home. They were living in a duplex with a nice rabbi and his wife upstairs. And they, they fled to the, fled to Elmhurst, white flight. Then he moved to New York city. Didn't, didn't get a driver's license until he was in his thirties. Now he lives in Santa Monica in a single family home. And he said things to me like, I pay property taxes, so I should have more of a voice than renters, and contributed to the Measure S But campaign. renters pay property taxes no, no, no. rent. I'm talking so. about the trajectory of someone's life and how it leads yeah. them oh, from yeah. this, this, the story of each family's housing is, is the way to have that intergenerational conversation mm-hmm. where you start really making a difference. Right. And the funny thing about this zoning question is, if we, if we upzoned everything in Seattle to whatever the reasonable again seismic limit was right it wouldn't stop jim and jane who live in north capitol hill from just holding on to their single family house if they wanted to right all it says is you know what you don't get to regulate the yard next to yours i'm sure jim and jane don't want a 400 story tower next to them well that but or 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 a four or a fourplex but let's ask the question this is probably not a practical it's not an organizing question it's a philosophical question why did Jim and Jane have the right to tell whoever the owner is of the other property what they because can get? Because it's the American dream. No way. Because they, <laughs> because the American dream says you will have a detached home with a two-car garage, yeah. and you will we gotta wake save up. up. If that's the dream, we got to wake up. And you will pass that on to your kids, and you've done a good job. Yeah. And that's your legacy. And we need to start dismantling that is kind of what People, you're saying. If kids said to their parents... I don't want all that crap in your house. I don't want all that furniture. I don't want all the antiques. I don't want, you know, when you downsize, don't put it into storage and so that I have to deal with it. There's tons of and tons yeah. of articles about this. Yeah. But if we talked about not just the stuff in the houses, but the actual house, 
We don't just not want their stuff that's in the house. I don't want that house in Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, why would I want that? You know? I I don't know the numbers, but it's like half of all folks in Seattle are, you know, single. They're childish. Childish. Childish? (laughs) They're childish. Childless. And they, they don't want, like, that nuclear family American dream heteronormative situation like most of the people I organize with want multi-generational co-op housing or multi-family housing or there so there'd be like three or four families with a shared yard Mm -hmm. and I lived in a six plus six plex in Chicago that's perfect that would be perfect for that it had a big yard out front everyone had their own deck in the back the houses went all the way across you got a lot of natural light on a whole one side of your house and it felt like a little mini house inside of this sixplex. And right. we don't and have it, that. It's illegal. And it's, a good, it's a good way to live. And it's illegal. And it's illegal. And it's illegal. So I'm wearing this pin. It's a super cute pink house like that you draw as a little kid when you're drawing a house. And it has two doors. Let's get a picture, huh? It has two doors. And it says legalize it. And the, I, the simple idea that this is not legal, but just this. like not she's, ha- she's pointing to the, the house on her button. 400 foot towers will scare most people. But if they looked at this little house with two doors, that's not going to scare most people. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. people are like, oh, yeah, that should be next door to me. Right. But the idea that we can't put duplexes in, depending on who you talk to, either 11% of the buildable land is only where we could put this. So yeah. the rest of it, we can't put it. So the, the other side uses a number of like 43%. But it's still 50% of the city we can't build a duplex. Right. Interesting. 50 to 50, depending on 50 to 75% of the city, depending on what numbers you're using. Mm-hmm. So the, I, the simple idea that a duplex is illegal, that changes people's mind. Right. I, I love this idea of an apartment ban. That's mm-hmm. that, that all, it sounds ridiculous on its face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that, so my question here is, and, and we're very much about organizing for action and mm-hmm. I like to have the conversation, but I, sure. but I, but I think it's it's important that listeners pull out their headphones and know what to do tomorrow and what to do next month, so that we can win a bunch of small victories here. So what what? Uh... So the, the most immediate small victory is more, which is more options for accessory residences. So more is a group of us that are organizing around backyard cottages, granny flats mm-hmm. in Australia. They call them Fonzie flats. Mother in laws, if you will, Fonzie. Yeah, for Fonzie, for Fonzie yeah. from Happy Days. So that group will convene again in June, and there's going to be a series of. So if you just googled M O A R Seattle, a bunch of articles come up, okay. and um, can they join? Is that the yes, idea? There's okay. a there's a Facebook group. There's Eventbrite posts. There's mm-hmm. stuff on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of your guests is one of the lead organizers, uh, Matt Hutchins. Mm-hmm. He's one of the lead he organizers. He was great. Yeah. He loves this space, which earns me a lot of <laughs> respect for him. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But he, so he and I and a bunch of other people um, are organizing that. So that's an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. Long term, I really want folks to get engaged on this idea of what is an equitable city and what is equitable development. The city starting an equitable development initiative. There's a ton of fu- funds mm-hmm. for organizing, mm-hmm. but we haven't decided what that means or who we should even be asking what that means. A lot of these kinds of initiatives, right? I believe that even educated folks or people with relative efficacy sometimes struggle with like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do? Okay, some there's some initiative with the city. What do I do? Right. So the equitable, the equitable development push that's happening throughout Seattle 
one way to get involved, especially if you're like a white person with privilege, instead of going and telling communities of color what they should be doing, go organize with white folks in North Seattle. There's this lovely piece of property. It's 18 acres. It's the same size as Fort Lawton, which I know has been brought up on the show many times before. And there's going to be 63, three to $5 million homes built on it. And there's a group of us called Affordable Tolaris, and we are going to try our hardest to make sure that something else happens there. I would rather a park got built than 63 suburban homes that will be probably policed by a private police force. A lot of folks in the group want it to be like a tower in the corner. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that is going to happen. It's right next to Children's Hospital, which is this big looming presence. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it would destroy the character of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's like, it's the biggest piece of land that, to me, why are we turning it into something that belongs on the suburbs? And let me ask you a question to follow on to that. The developers probably aren't even the villain in this story, right? They probably want to build for more density. There. It's not clear. So okay. I tried okay. to talk to them, and they are uh, kind of a suburban development specialist. Okay. So if the lot got rezoned, for row homes or town homes or duplexes. <clears throat> yep. Say we just put, say we put half, half of the lot was a park and half of it was duplexes and we still got 63 units of housing out mm -hmm. of it. I don't even know if that developer would still be the developer because that's not their specialty. Right. So it's unclear if they would really be willing to change their development. So I'm not saying they're, mm -hmm. the, they're, they're kind of, I'm trying to, Dance around it a little Right, well... It's, it, and the it, Laurelhurst Community Club has a special settlement agreement to be, like, the protectors of that site, which is a really rare thing. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a next-level covenant. Right. Because they... So they're not happy either. They wanted a denser. They wanted a park. They've been using it as a private park for 30 years for their community. So they don't want it denser. They don't want any more traffic. They already are very angry that there's traffic in their neighborhood. So, okay. so they would fight anything. Right. So they want it to be a park. Right. I honestly would rather it was a park than 63. I looked up today what the mortgage would be. $3 million. No, the mortgage would be 16000 a month. Right. Uh, so six, your rent would be, like, the people that are going to move in there can afford $16,000 a month, $600,000 deposit. So you'd have to have six, $600,000. $3 million mortgage. $3 million yeah. mortgage yeah. overall. But right. it would be $16,000 a month. So, And this would probably not be like their first home. And someone said, I was throwing this around online, and someone that kind of knows this world, they're like, oh, and those would be cash transactions. Like they wouldn't even have to like. This is me shaking my head silently. So, so it's such a clear example of inefficient zoning. Um, other things it's an example of, it's near light rail. Right. So this so, should be very So we dense. have a climate crisis. Do we have a climate crisis? Yes. <laughs> like, do we have a climate crisis? Right. Does the city believe we have a climate crisis? And if so, where's the action? I this? don't think the city believes we have a climate crisis. Like, I really don't. They're not acting like it. They're not, they're not being bold in their climate solutions. They didn't put any green building standards in, barely in HALA, in the Housing Affordability Livability Agenda. There's like... Nothing, no bonuses or for anything. Mm. There's no density bonuses or height bonuses or anything for green building, which is just shocking. Yeah. And this is near light rail. It's near buses. It's near Children's Hospital. Right. It's near the UW. We, we need people. Why are we? What are we doing? Yeah. So, okay. Um, so that's a long term struggle with with some short term. We might have a press conference. We have some like VIPs interested in getting involved in mm -hmm. advocating. 
Um, will you be, uh, via more, I would assume, will you be kind of keeping the city abreast as other uh, Tolarises come online? I mean, I know yes. whether it's Fort Lauderdale. Roosevelt Reservoir, Roosevelt, yep. Jackson Park Golf the Course. Golf course yep. So the city's internally doing, uh, looking at golf courses. Right. So the city's kind of like tracking the stuff too. Huh. So, but they need all of us. They need all of us. I don't know who I'm to- talking to out there. They need all of us to get off our butts and write to them and give them the cover. They need the biggest job a Yimby can do, and this is why I still say that I'm part of the Yimby movement, is because we give them political cover. I'm putting my hat back on. I'm putting it on we, right we, now. We can't, we can't hang them out to dry. Mm-hmm. We elect them, and then we can't take a step backwards. We have to still keep showing up for them because they get death threats every day. Like literally death threats, but also just personal attacks on their character. And so just someone showing up and saying, like, writing a thank you note. Like, I wrote a thank you note to a council member that I'd only met twice. And the next time they saw me, they're like, I still have your thank you note note up on my wall. They're so used to just hearing negative. So every time your council member or your elected does something that you like, tell them. Tell them. That is great advice. I think it's the little things. We need to go piece by piece here. And it's so cheesy, yeah. right? No, but I mean, it, it's it's true that we're going to win this victory and then that victory and then that's how people are going to start to pay attention. We elected an urbanist council. Every single one of them, all the votes on the upstones have been unanimous. Yeah. They're all urbanists enough. You just got to push them. And, and they all want to change single family zones. Right. We just have to keep telling them. To do it. To do it. Yeah. Like, because all they hear from are the people that are angry. Mm-hmm. They don't hear from the people that are just like going about their day like, yep, my council this, member's doing awesome. This works. Yep. Yeah. That is great advice. We're going to throw that on the post. Okay. Laura, I want you to get back to your date. <laughs> my date. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> See, oh, is, I feel terrible. This is how you know you're Oh, dating me's not good. You're in a relationship with a Yimby. Oh. So we end every show with a segment we call If You Care About, You Should Fill in the Blanks. If you care about Black Lives Mattering, if you think that Black Lives Matter, block the bunker and the youth jail. Whoa. Curveball. I didn't we didn't get to talk about that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's great, Laura Lowe. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was Laura Lowe of More Seattle. Check out More Seattle, M-O-A-R, Seattle on Twitter, Facebook, etc., etc. She's doing good work, folks. Just check her out. Today's show is brought to you by Horizon Books. Mention Upzones at the register for a 10% discount. Thanks to Naboo for sound engineering. Thanks to Anthony McPherson for the dope opening poetry sample. Thanks to the Subcons for all music in today's episode. Upzones is a Cascadia Underground production. I am your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>